Good morning, church family, as Bill said. It's nice to see you all. And thank you for our worship leading team. You know, we take them for granted a lot, and it's, uh, I, I wander down here time and again, and I see them, and they're spending time getting ready and coming in early and getting set up and deciding what songs God wants to bring to us. And so there they are, and they're just kind of this familiar face. But stop and thank them, will you? It's a commitment, and um, it's really, it really does add to our ability to worship God, right? When we come, and, and there's songs already prepared and, and music, and it, it's just very, very nice. So thank you, guys. You probably don't get near enough appreciation. I think it's attributed to uh, Vince Lombardi, although probably a lot of other uh, coaches have done this. And he had this system that he would use, and he would say, at the beginning of every season, we're going to get back to the basics. And he would hold up this thing, and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And somebody would always say, coach, could we go over that again? <laughs> Boys and girls, this is a Bible. All right. So we're going to get back to the basics. Um, in your bulletin, if you have one, if you don't have one, get one. Or if you haven't got one, there are some things you can grab on the way out. We have placed this week our statement of faith. There are seven points to it. I am not going to read through all seven. You can do that. But for the next week, this week and the next six following, we are going to be talking about those items on our statement of faith, which are there for a reason. They are there because those are the things that, of all the things in the Bible, and they're all important, and we're going to be talking about that here in just a minute. Everything in here is important, but there are aspects of doctrine that are absolutely crucial to Christianity. And so this is a statement of faith, not saying this is all we believe, but it is saying these are the key points that are essential to the doctrine of Christianity, and we are actually here bound by those things. I, I, I saw this TV show, and a guy had dropped a, a, an ice cream cone on the sidewalk, and he'd gone away, and then he, all these ants came up, and there was just... Pretty soon, more and more and more and more and more and more ants were covering this ice cream cone until you couldn't even see the ice cream cone anymore. Well, this is the ice cream cone, our statement of faith, and we are all these little ants that come up, and this is what is bonding us together. We have this in commonality. If I call myself a Christian, I ought to believe, know, and understand, and be living by all of these seven points that are our statement of faith. And so we're going to go through those one by one so that you completely understand. Now, I'm going to guess that probably... Very little new information is going to be imparted. These are not things you probably have not heard. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to glance through them, but I'm going to guess most of you are going to say, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. So why do we go over it again? Why did Vince Lombardi always start with the basics? We forget. We forget or we just kind of cruise along and we don't really pay attention. And then something comes up that changes something and... We're not really ready. This I can tell you, which we'll probably go over again. If you read those seven statements, they're all under fire in your culture. They're all under fire even within the church. 
And it's very sad. So it is essential at times to remind us, to re-emphasize for us what exactly is it that we all have in common in our beliefs in Christianity. So I'm just going to say, and I don't want you to raise your hand, and you can come to me later if you want, but if you're reading through these and you say, man, I got a real problem with that, we need to talk. Because these are the essentials of Christianity, and we all need to be on board with them and understand them. So the first one today is that we believe, now I'm going to caveat here, we're back to um, the digital world. Tim Henley is an analog dude in a digital world. Um, I have issues with all of this stuff. If I don't get it right, you hey Tim. Um, I probably don't advance the slides as much as I should. Okay, so this is it, our statement of faith, what we believe, part one. We believe the Bible to be the inspired, the only infallible and authoritative word of God. Now, there's a lot in that one sentence, and we're going to take that baby apart, and you're going to understand what does that mean. Because it is the basis of everything we know. How many of you had God come to them in a burning bush out in the backyard of your house? No? How about did, did heaven open up and angels come down and say, this is how you become a Christian? Anybody hear that? No, probably not. Because this is how you heard it. This is where it came from. This is the basis of everything we know and believe about God. Now, along with his Holy Spirit, who enlightens us to understand it, which is going to be one of your statements of faith there. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. The Holy Spirit's required to help us understand what's in here. And, and here's the deal. I have been studying this thing, and I know everything that's in it, and I perfectly understand it. Um, don't look as my nose is growing. Um, not true. So it isn't something that we just all know all the time. And, and, and I can be studying this for a long time, and I may not completely understand it. But the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And we should be students of this book. And so really the subtitle of this message is, Are We People of the Book? That should be what we are. And so here we are. And how many of you were here for Cliff's message back on the New Year's Day? I know it's New Year's Day. It's a holiday. And he was talking about Psalm 119, read the whole thing. And I don't know if you guys remember. I think he said there were only maybe four verses in the entire, I think, 176 that didn't refer directly to God's Word. So if you just want to just... I get that one, man. Just read that thing every day for this week as we're thinking about God's Word because it tells us all of the things about God's Word, how wonderful it is, how true it is, how perfect it is, how enlightening it is, all those things. And so that, that was God's providence. I hadn't asked Cliff to do that, but here we are going to start with the value of God's Word. And so thinking back to that, last week, the sermon was there, and we were using the passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And it started out, and it said, we were dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And that meant completely dead. We had no chance of coming back to God on our own. We had, we had nothing in us that was good. We had no interest in finding God. We were not seeking Him. We were not looking for Him. We were bound to death. 
and we were needing a way back. And there is one, isn't there? And how do we know what that is? From the Word of God. There's, there is a message in here. And, and it isn't the only thing, but the primary message of the Bible is, how are you going to be reconciled back to God? Which is the most important issue that any human being will ever face. Second one being, how much am I going to be transformed back into His image in this life? And those things are in this book. Those are, I believe, are the two most important challenges facing human beings. Am I going to be reconciled back to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? And am I going to allow God's Holy Spirit to transform me into the image of Christ as I live this life right now? And all of those things are in here. Primarily, we needed salvation, and that's what we got. But why is it the Bible? Why didn't God just do what he did and come down in a burning bush and, and just, or just supernaturally impart all of the knowledge that we needed to, to know him? I don't know. Good question. Maybe we'll ask him someday. But what he gave us was this. It's a gift from God. It is everything we need for faith and practice. That's, that's a, a, the elongated version of uh, the statement of faith. The authoritative word of God that is our final authority for all faith and practice. All faith meaning what it is that we actually believe. What is this message of Christianity? And all practice meaning it is showing us the guideline of how I'm supposed to live out my faith here on earth. And it's all in there. It is the pathway for reconciliation and restoration. So what is it that God's Word does for us? It informs us. It says in Scripture it's life-changing, right? It says in Hebrews it's this, this sharper than a two-edged sword. It's, it's this living, breathing thing. It's not just words on a page. There's plenty of books out there that have been written. I have some. You know, i got some here for you now. Um, tons of books that we can read. And we think, well, it's just, it's just kind of a guidebook. It's an instruction manual. Well, it can be that, but this is the living, breathing Word of God that is life-transforming when we read it and understand it and the Holy Spirit applies it to our heart and changes us back to the image of God. This is an amazing thing. This is a miracle, how it came to be, how it was, it was communicated to human beings, how it's been preserved over the ages, how it was collected from all the other things that were written, how God supernaturally put this thing together, preserved it so that we could have it today. And it is the basis of all we know and believe. You think, man, Tim, you're getting really dogmatic here and kind of excited. And you know what? Because it's under attack people. It's under attack, not only in our world, but in our churches. It's amazing how people <clears throat> can miss it. It says here in First uh, Timothy, uh, 3, 16, and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that every man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So, if that is true, oh, those are our first two verses there. You can read that one. That, that's part of our statement of faith. 
So for all of this to work, for, for, for all those things that God says, okay, I'm giving you this to inform you, I'm giving you this to change you, to enlighten you, to instruct you, to give you hope, to give you confidence, to encourage you, to give you wisdom, to give you courage, to give you faith, to give you life itself. Jesus asked Peter one time, when, when all the people were leaving, he said, well, are you going to leave? He said, no, no, Messiah, where can we go? You have the very words of life, of eternal life. That's what this is. This is the very words of eternal life. But if it is going to be that, if it's going to do all of those things, it's going to enlighten us and inform us, change us and everything, what is necessary about the Word of God to accomplish those tasks? And the very first one is this, it must be true. And so it says right there. Now, these can think, Tim, can you use the Bible to prove the Bible? Well, that's what I'm going to do today for the most part. The Bible itself says, and this was Jesus, sanctify them in your truth, for your word is truth. That was Jesus speaking about his disciples in John 17, 17. Now, what is truth here? It has to line up completely with the truth of reality. Is the Bible, we're going to talk about infallibility and inerrancy, but right now, truth is, is what the Bible describing the actual reality that I'm in? That I'm all, that all of us are doomed for destruction when we were born because we were born enemies of God. Is that true? That there's a plan to bring everyone that accepts that gift back into reconciliation with God. Is that the truth? Is that really going to happen? Does that line up with the reality that's out there? Now, one of the problems about some of the things in the Bible is we don't see them yet. You know, we're very, very fixated on the things that we can touch and feel and prove and lift and weigh and taste. And we say, yeah, that's true. And there's a lot of the realities of Scripture that we just don't see yet, so we have to see them with eyes of faith. But they have to still be real. It has to still be true. Is there a heaven and a hell? Yes, there is. And is, is that one of two places that every human being is going to go? Yes, it is. That is the reality of it, whether we accept it or not, whether we see it now or not. That is the reality. So the Bible must be true. In order for it to be what God wants it to be, in order for us to have confidence in it, in order for us to enlighten us correctly, it must be true. It must be a true revelation of the reality of human beings and creation. And it gives us so much about how did it start. This is the whole story, people, from beginning to end, from the alpha to the omega. This is God telling us what happened way before we were here and what's going to happen way after we're gone. And it is absolutely 100% true. What else must the Bible be in order for it to do what God needs it to do for us? The Bible must be inerrant. So what's inerrancy mean? Anybody? Without error, okay, completely correct. Now, truth means it has to give us the, the true reality of our situation. And, and maybe it is, but maybe there's other things in there that are, are not like that. But at least it's, that's all in there. But inerrancy, and actually we can e even go to the next level, which is infallibility. Inerrancy says there are absolutely no errors in Scripture. It says right here in Psalm 19, 7 through 9, the law of the Lord is perfect.
perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. The Bible is claiming it is inerrant. So inerrancy means there's no errors in it. Infallibility means there can be no errors in it. There is no possibility that it is wrong. There are no contradictions, although there are some seeming contradictions. Uh, there, There is nothing about the Bible that is not completely true, that is not completely correct. It does not contradict itself in its entire canon. It is completely consistent with everything. What else must the Bible be in order for it to do what God wants to do? It must be reliable. Now, what do you mean when you say reliable? It says here in Psalm 111.7, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All of his precepts are trustworthy. So in order to be reliable, the things that it says must prove out to be good, must prove out to be true. When, When the Bible gives us advice, it must be good advice. When the Bible gives us warnings, they must be true warnings. It is reliable. We can count on it and know that it is the inspired word of God and it is going to lead us in the direction we should should go and lead us away from the direction we should not go. And it is reliable all the time. What else? In order for the Bible to do what God needs it to do for us, the Bible must be the inspired Word of God. Now, this one is a little tricky, and this one has is, is been uh, really challenged recently in Christianity. And so here it says in 2 Timothy or 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so God is telling us right here, guess what? You don't get to determine this, and I am God-breathing it when it says, I am giving it to you. It is God-breathed. It is the very words coming out of God's mouth in given to human beings. And this is some of the problem that we have with it. Well, well, well maybe they didn't get it right. Well, maybe, they, you know, maybe that was their idea after God whispered in their ear. And so there is a couple of, of points of inspiration that you need to know, verbal inspiration and plenary inspiration, and we believe in both, and I know those are kind of biblical terms. Verbal inspiration means that the Bible is absolutely the inspired Word of God, meaning God breathed into human beings who He had right down exactly the way He wanted it, and it is inspired every single word, every single punctuation mark, every single tense, mood, and gender. And those are are terms. How many of you went through how to study the Bible? All of those things are in there to understand what does it mean to be verbally inspired. And then plenary inspiration, meaning that not only is it inspired in each one of its individual words, its entire structure and substance has been inspired by God, so it was put together as a whole completely the way God wanted it. There's nothing left out and nothing put in that he didn't want or that he did want. And so we know that not only is each one of those little words inspired, but the way that the sentences and the paragraphs and and the chapters of the book are put together are all inspired by God. 
And, and so there are people in Christianity who are disputing that and saying, well, yeah, it's inspired when it, when it involves things regarding salvation. But, but when it comes to history or physics or, or science or, or all those things, well, you know, there are a lot of metaphors in there. And, and there are things, yeah, the flood didn't really happen. They didn't really have a boat with all the animals on it. And God didn't really part seas and stuff. Those were just metaphors for a lesson. No, it's not true. Those things happened. Everything in the Bible is inspired, not just those things pertaining to salvation. Every single word and letter and jot and tittle are inspired by God and were put there for a purpose for us. What else might be important? The Bible must be complete. <clears throat> when I say that, now this is kind of a, this is kind of a weird one. Um, the Bible must be complete. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a message ahead of time before we read the passage. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Okay. What was that noise? <laughs> I think somebody run in and attack me. Um, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but what they are claiming is that there was an additional revelation from God given to Joseph Smith. And he put his face down into a hat, and he was given this message, and he wrote it down. And there's a new inspiration. There's a new revelation from God. No, it's not true. Here in Revelation, and I know, I, I was taught this as a kid. And it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, I was taught, you know, hey, this is the end of the book, this is the end, end book of the Bible. And what it really is saying is I'm slamming the lid on the canon. And if anybody adds any, it, that isn't really what it means. It's, it's really talking about the, the revelation of, of Revelation. What was God trying to say in the book of Revelation? But the message that this is complete is true. There are no other parts of the Bible that we missed. There are going to be no more revelations or additions to the Bible that we have today. God is done doing it that way. Now, there is going to become a time when Jesus returns and he may have some other things to tell us. But for now, this is it. This is what we get. This is the complete, entire, authoritative message from God to us. And it's a gift. And it's given to us to find salvation. It's given to us to instruct us. It's given to us to enlighten us. It's given to us to change us. But it's given to us mainly for this reason, because God wants relationship with his children. How many of you had a relationship with your wife where you never spoke to her or you, she never spoke to you? And no, hope, <laughs> no hopeful thinking out there. So, so God did not have an internet romance with us. No. He gave us this, and these are his very words. 
And when you have a question, or when you want to hear from God, and you just say, God, I love you and I want to know you, go to his word. Because he'll open it up in a supernatural way and say, I want to know you. I know you. I want you to know me. Here I am. Take this. Read this. Eat it. Put it in your heart. I want relationship with you, and so I gave you this. I didn't just want to save you. I did want to save you, but that's not all. I want you to understand me and know me so that you can experience the intimacy with me that's going to provide you peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose and identity in your life, and it's all contained right here. Now, we just looked at these points the truth of the Bible, the inerrancy of the Bible, the reliability of the Bible, the inspiration of the Bible, and the completeness of the Bible. And I want you to know, every single one of those things is under attack. And, and this is something that I haven't seen to this degree in my life until recently. These things are under attack in seminaries. They gave these similar statements to seminary graduates in a poll by the Barna Research Institute, and they got back some things that would absolutely blow your hair back. 70%, 70% said that they believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. That means how many didn't? 30. And it may be getting worse. This is an older poll. And they went through a lot of these things, and guess what? Every single one of them is being taught as well. No, that's not really true. In seminaries that are teaching people to stand in pulpits like this one and teach others. And what is the problem? What is the danger? Because if we deviate and we say this contains the Word of God, but it is not completely the Word of God, where does it end? How then can I hang on to anything that's in here? How can I know anything is right and wrong? How can I know anything will lead me to the path of salvation? Once I say, "Uh, I'm going to change this, that is a slippery slope. And that is the slope that Christianity in America is on. How in the world does that happen? If the Bible is the final authority for all that we're going to do in all areas of our life, if Scripture is the final authority, then it, not us, is going to determine the following things. What is right? What is wrong? God gets to make the rules. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. And I'm going to give you some current and historic examples of when that doesn't happen. When we decide what's right and what's wrong as Christians, we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. You don't get to change the rules because you had nothing to do with making the rules. God says what's right and wrong. Right now, it is under attack to even say that there is an absolute truth of what's right and wrong. No, no, as human beings, we get to determine that on our own. And what may be right for you is not right for me. And what's wrong for you might not be wrong for me. I get to determine that because as human beings, we are the center of the universe. 
Nothing could be farther from the truth. The Bible is the final authority as to what is right and what is wrong. Absolutely, 100% end of story. The Bible is the final authority on what is true and what is not, as truth itself is under attack in our culture and in our churches. The Bible is the final authority on what we can expect and what not to expect. What can we expect to happen? The Bible tells us. What can we expect for eternity? The Bible tells us. What can we expect human beings to be like? The Bible tells us. What can we expect sin to do in our lives? The Bible tells us. What can we expect from God? The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us who God is and who God isn't. And we try to remake God in our own image because we get away from the truth of the book. We try to figure out a God that will do what we want him to do. We try to manufacture a God that's a little bit different than he is because we want him to be more like us so we can justify what we do. And the Bible says, no, I'll tell you who I am. I'll tell you my attributes. I will give you the picture of who I am and who I am not. And the same is true of Jesus. One of the most attacked things in Christianity from the very beginning was the person of Christ. We're going to be talking about that next week, I believe. The person of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit and the person of God the Father. We don't get to decide. The Bible tells us. How many of you have heard this? I can't worship a God that would do that. Well, my God would never do that. Or my God is like this. How many of you have heard that? I've heard it from Christians. I've heard it from Christians that say, no, 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 my God would never allow that to happen. And it happened. Well, guess what? (laughs) You're not worshiping the right God. The Bible tells us who God is and who he isn't. The Bible also tells us who we are and who we are not. It tells us how incredibly broken and selfish and sinful we are. And then we try to remake ourselves as, well, if only I can be good enough, then then I can make this better. And we get ourselves into trouble. When we, we get away from what the Bible says we are, where we started out, what our heart is like, oh, no, no, we can fix society if we just give them enough stuff. And we, give, and we fulfill their physical needs, and we give them education, we can make people better. And societies over long decades, centuries, have used that pattern thinking we can make things better. When the Bible clearly says, no, you're all desperately wicked. You have nothing good within yourselves. And we keep trying to fix things on our own. The Bible tells us who we are and what our predicament is, and there's only one solution for it, and it is the gospel. The Bible also tells us, and it has every right to, what is correct doctrine and what is not. Now, these things are a little bit tricky. And how many, oh, oh, my word, guess what? In about a week and a half, we're going to have the doctrine class. And you think, wow, you know, those are really, the Bible is just too, let's just stick to the gospel. It's too hard to understand. It's just divisive. No, no, no. God's, God says it's there. I'm, I'm there for you. I have doctrine. And yes, some of it's kind of confusing. And yes, not all scholars and, and not all Christians believe exactly the same thing. But on the essentials, we better. Those things that, that are our statement of faith. But God wants you to know. And the Bible only says one thing and only means one thing. How many of you have heard that before? Where'd that come from? Our pastor, Ron, who put together the Contenders program so that we could know what we believe and why we believe it. Because it is important. 
The Bible says I get to say. The Bible is the word of God, and he says I get to say what's right and what's wrong, what's true, what's not, who I am, who I'm not, who you are, who you're not, and what's correct. And sometimes it takes work. You know what? It does. It takes work. It takes work, and that's why you are all called to be Bereans who will know enough of Scripture not to be carried off by every wind of doctrine. We're going to look at why that happens. And he says, yes, I'm, I'm giving you some responsibility. I want you to know me so that you will not be carried away by false teachers. We talked about that on Saturday a little bit. How do I spot false teaching? How do I spot false teaching? How do I know when things I'm hearing are not lining up with the Word of God? First of all, you have to know the Word of God. And you have to love it. And you have to want to know. And you have to have some discernment, which comes from the Holy Spirit. But then the, the little red flags go up and you say, no, no, no. Like the Bereans, I'm going to go back and check this. And everything I say, you should be doing the same. Because I have nothing for you that does not come from here that's any good. This is the word of life, not things that I might say on my own. I take that seriously when I get up here. I ask God before I come, God, let me, let me, let me say your words. Charlie, Charlie Markin, so such a wonderful saying. He says that almost every week, if not every week, that the message would be God's, not ours. And I, I am so thankful for that. Because I need that reminder every time I get up here. So if the Bible has all the answers to those things, why are we still struggling with the same issues over and over and over? Let me give you some examples. These are long-time universal issues in Christianity. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, we've, we've had these conversations. Carol and I have some different conversations when we hear, hear different things on the TV and stuff and hear, in the radio or, or we watch a program and, and we see Christians saying these things. And what, what are the words we say? Don't they ever read their Bible? How did they come up with that? And it's in there. It's, it's, it's in there. Long-time universal issues in Christianity. How are people saved? What? Hold on, Tim. That's a problem? Uh, yeah, have you ever heard of the Reformation movement? It's not by works. By faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. How in the world could that be a problem? It was for thousands of years. The message of Christianity under Catholicism was, no, this is about, yeah, there's some faith involved, and there's some grace involved, but there's tons of works involved. And we got it wrong to the detriment of those under that teaching. And you think, how in the world could that happen? Well, Martin Luther said the same thing. And he was a Catholic monk, and he said, hey, I don't think Scripture says that, guys. And here, <laughs> let's talk about it. And he taxed the 99 Thesis on the door at Wickenburg. How in the world could we get that wrong? It's so plain in Scripture, and yet we do. How about this one? How are people transformed? Well, uh, God, you saved me, but I can work my way into being better afterward. Thank you very much. I'd like your help, but I think I can do this. Does the Bible say that? Let me tell you definitively, the Bible does not say that. Not only can you not save yourself, you can't fix yourself either. 
And yet we try, and we try, and we try. I mentioned it a number of times. I'll mention it again. The documentary on Netflix, The American Gospel, was a message of, this is so hard, finally we're given up. I just can't live the Christian life. It's too hard. And guess what? They're right. Because without the Holy Spirit changing you, you can't do it. And yet here we are, still struggling today. How am I transformed? It's by submission to God's Holy Spirit. How about this one? Is there really a heaven or hell? How many of you have heard this one? Even in churches. Well, yeah, God's really going to send everybody to heaven. There's no real hell out there. Don't they read their Bible? It's in there. Who is God? What about Jesus? And the Holy Spirit, I don't get any of that. Is there just one way? I mean, yeah, Christianity is good, but, but, but I think there's other ways. Heard that one? Yeah. Yeah, that's why we have all these other religions. And even within Christianity, it's starting to be in progressive Christianity. If you have heard that term, wash it out of your mouth with soap. Or your brain with soap. There's nothing progressive about progressive Christianity other than it's wrong. And it's seeking to compromise. Do I really need to repent? Nah, nah. I was saved. I'm saved by grace. God doesn't really care now. I'm all, he's going to forgive it all no matter what I do. It doesn't really matter. I need to repent. I repented once when I was saved. That's, that's a one-time deal, right? Nope. That's not what the Bible says. So let's take a look at some more current things that we're dealing with today. And this was really the point of this for me. As I look at Christianity and I see us making compromises, see, I knew I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to advance my slides. <laughs> Why do we compromise? This is what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. I'm going to say this. For the time is here when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We are here, people. You see it on the news, I get that. But you see it as churches say, it's okay. Come on in those who are confused about their sexuality, identity, and gender. Now, do we love those people? Absolutely. But does the Bible have the definitive answer about sexuality, identity, and gender? And, and God didn't say, oh, I left that one for you guys to figure out later in the 21st century. Um, no, no, you're going to get a lot more enlightenment from science. And so one that, when it gets there, you can decide for yourself who you want to sleep with, what gender you want to be, who you want to marry. No, 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 I get it. You know, I, I purposely left that one vague so that once you were more enlightened and had more scientific knowledge you, and, and understood people better, you could kind of figure that one out on your own. Do you think, you think that's what the Bible says? Do you think the Bible has something definitive to say about that? And I, I see churches and I see the compromise and I say one thing. Don't you read your Bible 
And then I say the second thing which Carol says, don't they have any fear of God? We don't get to decide for ourselves and compromise the truth of the word of Scripture. We look at the institution of marriage, and you wonder, is there even a question? Is there even a question about one man, one woman? And we see churches compromising on that every day. And and having same-sex marriages in their churches. I mean, doing the ceremonies. Now, if a same-sex couple walked in here, I would love them and embrace them and then preach them the gospel. And when, if they were saved, and, and I would help them understand the truth of Scripture that, and, and the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin and hopefully they would change their lifestyle. But God loves them and so would I. But the truth of Scripture never changes and it has something to say about it and we as Christians do not need to apologize for God's standard regarding sexuality identity and marriage I don't apologize you can call me a bigot you can call me judgmental you can call me hateful you can throw me in jail I don't care the Bible is not obscure on this and neither should we What about the sexual relationships outside of marriage? Does God say anything about that? There's a lot of compromise in church. It's okay if you just want to live together. That's all right. God doesn't care. You know, we eventually need to get married. Does God have anything to say about that? Or any sexual relationship outside the bounds of marriage of one man to one woman? Yes. And yet churches are compromising. How about prosperity doctrine? God wants everybody to just be rich. That's that's a really popular one. And if God really loves you, he would not give you trial. No, 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 that's bad. What does the Bible say? No, no, no. That's my best tool. (laughs) Yeah, I'm giving you those. It doesn't mean that you're lacking faith. It doesn't mean that you're somewhere, this is some sort of a punishment. It doesn't mean that, that, that I'm judging you. Sometimes it can. It can be, but it's not, it's not a punishment. It is a correction, and it is a discipline of God on his kids at times. But yes, God uses trial, and he doesn't want everybody to be rich and famous. Sorry, if that's your church. How about the proper use of spiritual gifts? How about submission to authority? We just went through the pandemic, and we, you know, we had some issues with that as a church, not as our church, but as, a, as the Christian church in America. When the, when, the, when the authorities say this, unless it violates a commandment of God, I'm supposed to obey even if I don't like it. Did the Bible have something to say about that? Yeah. Now, there are things that we can look at and say, okay, this in my you know, my understanding of the Bible, the government is asking me to do this, and, and I don't believe it's biblical. Or the government is saying, don't do this, and I don't believe it's scriptural. And we may not all agree on that thing. But nonetheless, the problem that we have is, I don't want to submit to authority. And the Bible clearly says, we are to submit. Free grace, I mentioned. How to deal with your money. The unity of believers 
in serving the body in sacrificial love. The Bible has answers to every single one of those. Why do we have problems? Well, this is one of them. Because the time is here when we want to find teachers who will tell us what we want to hear to justify the sin in our own lives. It's a really popular message. When you tell people what they want to hear, you get big churches, you get big budgets, you have cool buildings, you get to put espresso bars in your lobby. And I say, don't they have, don't they read their Bible? Don't they have a fear of God? God has given us his word as the absolute final authority for all faith and practice. Ignorance is no excuse. You have to love it. And you, then we have to obey it. We always need to be people of the book. The alternatives lead us to selfishness, compromise, expediency, spiritual blindness, and eventually death. I pray that the truth of God's word would never leave this pulpit. That whoever is here, that would be the one standard that this church will always adhere to. And I am so, so grateful for Ron as both a pastor and a personal mentor as he mentored me to say and would say the very first words out of your mouth when you get up here on this sacred stand to preach from this sacred book is turn with me in your Bibles. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the magnificent gift of your word that it is all the things that it needs to be because you supernaturally gave it to us, that it's, it's perfect, it's true, it's inspired, it's authoritative, it's complete. All of the things we needed it to be in order to, to, for you to lead us to salvation and to change us back into your image. We are so grateful. Lord, help us to be at all times and in all ways people of the book. And I ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.